0: Hello again, everyone. Welcome if you're here for the first time. I feel like we should extend a welcome to you. My name is Troy, I'm one of the ministers here. We have the the challenge and the joy of looking through another one of these respectable sins and neglected virtues: discontentment, grumbling. That's what we're thinking about today. You'll see on your handout. There's a bit of a direction we're going, but there'll also be a lot on the screens. Let's uh, let's pray before we get into it. Our Gracious Father, we thank you again for your word, that it is clear, that it is sharp, that it convicts us. And we pray now that you'd help us to be humble before it, not to make excuses before you, uh, but to be ready to receive your challenge uh, and eager to receive your encouragement as well in the gospel of Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name for these things. Amen. Well, there's no greater saying or maxim perhaps out there than this. Uh, that we all love a good whinge Uh, at one point of life or another in this circumstance or that we all love to have a good old-fashioned whinge fest Uh, it just seems ingrained into our human nature and Aussies in particular love to whinge isn't that right the coffee's too hot The coffee's too cold, the coffee's too strong, the coffee's too weak. Don't complain about that over at morning tea later on today. Uh, The weather, the weather just isn't that perfect mix of warm but not too hot, Uh, refreshing but not too cold, Uh, sunny but not scorching. And if it's 1% out, we're whinging about it. Uh, And then there's traffic, traffic. If there's one single car or one red light that slows us down for just a few moments, we're in a rage and we're whinging about the bad drivers and the dodgy roads and the poor city planning. Why would we live in Sydney? Uh, All those kind of things. I'm not immune to this. I'm sorry to say there are things I love to whinge about. I love to whinge about the weather. In particular, I love to whinge about the entirety of winter. (laughs) I just just hate that feeling of being even just a little bit cold. Uh, I prefer to be warm enough that I can wear a T-shirt and shorts all day, every day, and never get cold. Uh, so even though we have these warm winters, I whinge, uh, and I still, I, I still whinge about being just slightly cold. I whinge about being sick. Man flu is a, is a real thing for me. Uh, I whinge about computers and internet being slow. Uh, but what's my number one whinge? Uh, my number one whinge is running out of milk. There's <laughs> just nothing worse than that. You go to the fridge, and it's not there, and you, you don't know what to eat now, and you have to eat something you don't want to eat. Anyway. We all love a good whinge. In fact, Aussies love to whinge so much that they whinge about whinges. Uh, There's this term invented in Australia, I wonder if you know it, whinging poms. It's not a nice name, I don't encourage you to use it, Uh, but Aussies use this term, whinging pom, to describe an English person who whinges about everything, who whinges about the weather and the sport and whatever, but the reality is that that term, whinging pom, is really just another way to whinge. To whinge about something we don't like. Whinges. Now, we can all have a laugh, can't we? And we can all uh, think of the ways that we might be fickle or silly or whingy at times. But the reality is, as we look at the Scriptures, as we think about our lives, that, that complaining, that grumbling, is one of those respectable sins that we just tolerate in our lives. And often we just let it run rampant. And it's far more destructive than we might think it is. And we actually know this when, when we choose to admit it. We know grumbling can turn a household sour and it can make living together just so painful and difficult. We know grumbling can turn a workplace into a toxic environment and people want to quit. We know grumbling can tear a church apart and there's division and tribalism and hurt. And we know that grumbling gives us a window into our hearts and into our relationship with God and with others. So today we're thinking about that respectable sin of grumbling, of grumbling and discontentment, because we need to challenge this sin, this sin that we just accept, because God, he doesn't accept it. He hates all sin, including this one. So if you look at your outline there, you see where we're going. Uh, there'll be more on the screens as we go. lots of scriptures that we're going to be diving into today. Because the place, uh, and the place we're going to start is... Number one, the seriousness of grumbling. Excuse me. Just how serious is grumbling? To see this, uh, we're going to dip into the Old Testament. Uh, We read a bit of it before. uh, Because it's fair to say that the history of uh, God's people in the Old Testament is a history of grumbling. Grumbling and complaining and discontentment, that was the default setting for Israel. It's just what they did and if we uh, we saw it before just before in the book of numbers and in fact you could call the book of numbers the book of grumbling now, that's what it's all about because the bit we read before that's not the only instance of grumbling in Israel's story it's not the only time they grumbled against Moses their leader and against God all throughout their history they grumbled at every step of the way. And we're going to just look at a little bit of it now. Here's three examples. If we just follow part of the Old Testament story, we see God's people grumble regularly, all the time, at every step. So, the first story do you remember the story of the Exodus? God had sent Moses to Pharaoh to say, Let my people go. He saved his people out of that harsh slavery in Egypt and he brought them to Mount Sinai where he appeared to them and he gave them his good law. And on the way, he performed all these miraculous signs and wonders. He saved them with a mighty hand. He brought them through the Red Sea. He destroyed the Egyptians. And they celebrated. They rejoiced. They praised God. But then, what did they do straight after? Look at Exodus 15 on the screens. Then Moses led Israel on from the Red Sea. And they went out of the wilderness, went out to the wilderness of Shur. They journeyed for three days in the wilderness without finding water. The people grumbled to Moses. What are we going to drink? It's just three days after they've been miraculously saved. And they grumble. And then in the next chapter, as they traveled on, they grumbled again. Look at Exodus 16. It says, The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron, his brother, in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. When we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted, instead instead you brought us to this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. Then again, yet again, they journey as they journey through the desert. Exodus 17, they complain again. But the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you ever bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Despite God saving them, despite God proving that he could, that he would provide for them, they just kept grumbling. So from the beginning, they grumbled. But then, in the next leg of their journey, they just kept grumbling. This is the second story. After they left Mount Sinai, after God had displayed his fearsome glory, he gave them his law. And as he was leading them to the land, to the land he promised to give them, What did they do? They grumbled. We saw it before in Numbers 11. That's the story we saw there. Uh, Turn back to Numbers 11 if you want to, but we'll just talk through it briefly. Numbers 11, what happened? Despite God protecting them and despite him meeting all their needs along the way, they just kept grumbling. Do you remember? God had given them manna to eat so that every morning when the Jews settled, so did manna, this strange food that God provided. And so every day, all they had to do was go out, gather it up, cook it, and eat it. It was free food on their doorstep each day. And it tasted like honey. And it tasted like pastry that was cooked with the finest oil. They had rich food in full abundance. But What do they say? Wasn't it better when we were slaves in Egypt? Wasn't it better then? We had all these different kinds of food to eat. We had meat. And now all we have is this manna. Let's go back and be slaves again. Do you see how ludicrous that is? But it didn't stop there. Because what happened is they then reached the promised land on the edge of the promised land. This is the third story. This land got a promise to give them. They're just about to go in. They they scout out the land. And then what do they do? Grumble. The people living the land are too strong. We can't defeat them. God won't save us. We're all going to die. Look at Numbers 14 on the screen. Then the whole community broke out into loud cries and the people wept that night. All the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron and the whole community told them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt or if we only had died in this wilderness. So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. See, after Moses had faithfully led them, after all of God's provision and generosity and protection and salvation... They grumble over and over again. This is what we see happen over and over again in the Old Testament. There's many more examples. And don't these stories, don't they start to reveal to us our human nature? We can grumble about what we don't have when right in front of us is everything we need is rich blessing from God. We can grumble even when we know the God who's made everything, who runs the universe and who's promised to provide everything for his people to be able to live for him. And These stories show us how serious it is to grumble, to grumble about our lives and our circumstances, to grumble to the air or grumble against someone who's annoyed us. All of it, all of it is actually grumbling against God who rules and reigns and arranges all our circumstances and lives. So look at Exodus 16 on the screens. Moses says to Israel, "He God, has heard the complaints that you were raising against Him." Who are we, Moses and Aaron? Uh, "Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord." Well, look at numbers 14. To grumble is to despise God and not to trust Him." The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people despise me? How long will they not trust in me, despite all the signs I've performed among them? This respectable sin is serious. So that's why Paul says in our reading before, do everything without grumbling and arguing. That's why Jesus says that on the day of judgment, each person will have to give an account of every careless word they have spoken hope you can see that just accepting this sin is not an option. We we have to deal with it. But what does it look like for us then? We've seen how Israel grumbled. Uh, What does it look like for us to sin, to grumble in these ways? What are our complaints? What do modern Christians, we modern Christians, grumble about today? I think this will help us to grasp this sin more and to bore down into it a bit more. So what are the things we complain and whinge about? Don't we grumble about all the small details of life? That's kind of what I was talking about before. We grumble about the weather and our health and our commute and our technology and our small annoyances. We get in a huff about all sorts of small things. We're part of the instant gratification generation. We hate waiting in lines. We hate dodgy service. We hate when our plans don't work out even just a little bit. We complain about all the small details of life, but we also do it about the big circumstances of our lives. Think about work. How easy is it to grumble about our work? Instead of being content and thankful that God has provided for us, that we have an income, instead we air our frustration at all things work-related. We want more pay, more recognition, less stress, easier tasks, flexible hours, more recognition and achievement, less waste, faster progress, The list goes on. We complain about it all. Or another big one is people and relationships. When friends or family or colleagues, when they rub us the wrong way, what do we do? We vent our frustration. We grumble against them about the way they are or that we have to deal with them. If we're married, how easy is it to grumble against our spouse and criticize them? If we're not married, we can grumble about not being married or being in that kind of relationship. But the big area, another big area of grumbling is church. We grumble in church life. We grumble when we don't feel that people at church are meeting our needs. And once we can be discontent with how things run at church, we can whinge about the programs, we can whinge about the music. That would never happen here. Uh, We can whinge about the buildings. That could happen here. (laughs) We can whinge about how long the service is. How easy is it to grumble How easy is it to grumble about these things or even about our leaders at church, those over us in the Lord? Isn't it easy to grumble about your minister or another ministry leader? I won't get a show of hands on that one. See, we just have these endless opportunities to grumble in life circumstances, in church life, in the small things, and we can be pretty good at it. What is it for you? What is that, that grumbling that comes so easily to you that you just accept in your life? See, all of this then starts to reveal the heart of grumbling. See, as we think about grumbling and we dig down into it, we see why we really grumble. We start to see the heart of grumbling. What causes it? Why do we do it? Why are we so good at it? What's the heart of grumbling? Well, you might think there's lots of reasons that we grumble, and there is. But what's at the heart of it? It's discontentment. See, we grumble because we're discontent. We're unsatisfied in some way or another because we feel we don't have or we don't experience the things that we should or the opposite. We feel like we've been dealt a bad hand and we get things that we don't deserve. And so discontentment breeds this grumbling. We feel the disjunct inside. We feel the discontentment and then we give a voice to that discontentment and we grumble. One person I read said, uh, grumbling is discontentment made audible. The internal discontentment, it overflows into external grumbling. So we grumble because we're discontent. But let's dig a bit deeper again. What's the reason we're discontent? What's behind it? At the end of the day, I think there's two big things that drive our discontentment. And the first is, we have a wrong picture of God. And the second is we have a wrong picture of ourselves. Often it's both. This is what drives and feeds our discontentment. We have this wrong picture of God and what he's like and how he works in the world. There's all sorts of ways that our picture of God can be wrong. Here's some examples. Sometimes our picture of God is wrong and we grumble about our suffering. We lose a job. We lose someone close to us. Our health goes downhill. Those are real struggles. But then we start to wonder and doubt if God is really good. If he's good, then why is he letting these things happen? Sometimes our picture of God is wrong and we grumble about what we don't have, what we lack. We look at those around us and we're filled with envy and jealousy and coveting and we want what they have. Why is it that they get that, God, and I don't? Why aren't you being generous to me? Sometimes our picture of God is wrong and we grumble because we don't feel loved by God. We feel like he doesn't care about us or that he's not answering our prayers, that he's not paying attention to us. We have these wrong pictures of God. We doubt him. We don't trust him and so we're discontent and we grumble. But we can also have the wrong picture of ourselves, a puffed up, self-important view of ourselves and that makes us discontent. Sometimes our picture of ourselves is wrong and we grumble because we think we know better than God. Why is God doing this in my life? Why does he let these things happen in the world? We think we could do a better job of running the world. We could come up with better decisions, better outcomes. Sometimes our picture of ourselves is wrong because we feel we're entitled. We feel like we deserve something from God. We think we've worked hard or we've been godly. So God owes us something. Sometimes we have this wrong picture of ourselves and we grumble because we think we're better than other people or we just want to be more important than them why did he get that promotion when i work harder why does she get good stuff in life and i get hard things these are the wrong pictures of god and wrong pictures of ourselves that drive us to discontentment and so if our problem is a wrong picture of god and ourselves what's the answer to our grumbling isn't it the opposite The answer to our grumbling is a right view of God. The answer is a right view of ourselves. And we need the scriptures to kind of whack us over the head at times and and to smash our false pictures of God and ourselves. We need the scriptures to give us a true picture, a right picture of God and of ourselves. Phil said it in week one. How do we deal with our respectable sins? We fill ourselves with God's word. And so that's our task right now. I kind of want to just barrage us with the scriptures that get our view right when it comes to this issue. To smash our wrong views that make us discontent and grumble and to give us the right views instead. So we need to get our picture of God right when it comes to our suffering. We need Romans 8 to show us God is always working for our good. My ultimate and eternal good. Look at Romans 8 on the screen. Paul says, We know that all things all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Paul loves to be wordy, but he's saying, in all things, our suffering, including, in all things, God is at work to make us more like Jesus. That's his purpose for our lives. That's his purpose for our suffering. It's hard but he is always working for my good. And so I need to keep trusting him instead of grumbling. We need to get our picture of God right when it comes to generosity, his generosity. And when we feel like God's holding out on us, we need words like Acts 17. We've seen this in our gospel teams in the generosity project in the last few weeks. Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in shrines made by hands, Neither is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. God isn't holding out on you. He gives you every good thing that you have ever had, down to your very life and, and every breath in your lungs. And on top of that, he didn't even spare his own son for you, but gave him up to die for us. See, we need our picture of God to be right, to be made right when we feel he's being distant or when he's not answering our prayers. Listen to Jesus' words in Luke 12. says, aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies. It's not very much. Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. See, such is his care and attention of you. If you were his child, he knows every hair on your head. You are worth more to him than you can imagine. We need to get our view of God right. And we also need to get our view of ourselves right. See, we need to get our view of ourselves right when we think we know better than God. We need to be humbled by Job chapter 38. If you ever need to be humbled, read Job chapter 38. God humbled Job and he said to him, Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who fixed its dimensions? Certainly, you know, who stretched a measuring line across it? The answer, not you, only God. Do we really want to suggest that we creatures might know more than our Creator? See, we need to get our view of ourselves right when we think God owes us something. We need Paul's humbling words in Romans 7. For I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my flesh. And we need the words of the tax collector that Jesus talks about in his story, who says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We don't deserve a thing from God, yet he is gracious to us. See, we need to get our view of ourselves right when we think we're better than others. We need Paul's words in Philippians 2, Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves see what's the answer when our grumbling and our discontent rear their head get your view of God right get your view of yourself right because then then instead of that respectable sin of grumbling of discontentment instead we will have the opposite virtues instead we will be content We'll be content in all of God's ways and the circumstances that he has placed us and the generosity that he pours on us and the way he cares for us. And instead of grumbling, we'll see God's goodness and be thankful to him for every physical blessing and and every spiritual blessing in Christ. And we'll be humble towards others instead of grumbling against them. That doesn't mean that it won't be a struggle. Hear that. It doesn't mean that it won't be a battle to be content and not grumble. It doesn't mean that we should be content with sin in ourselves and in, our, in, an, and in others. There's such, there's such a thing as godly discontentment about evil in our lives and about our world. And it certainly doesn't mean that we can't at times share our burdens or express our hurts with a brother or sister in Christ. And it doesn't mean that we can't bring our complaints and our struggles to God in humility asking for his help see there's a difference between grumbling against God and crying out to him as your father who loves you we'll have to think about that another time because what it does mean is that we will try to deal with this sin and we will search our hearts and we will test our motives am I being discontent what is behind this complaint or this grumble and that's part That's the start of what we need to do. See, with all that in mind, what do we do with the sin of grumbling and discontentment that God hates? And what do we do to put on the virtues of contentment and humility and thankfulness that God desires? Let's finish with two final thoughts. The first is, again, repeating ourselves over and over again. Part of dealing with this sin is doing what we do for any other sin. We use the word And prayer and fellowship. See, when we notice grumbling, we confess it to God, and then we know the wonder of His forgiveness. And we pray for His strength to be content. And when we meet together with brothers and sisters, we ask our brothers and sisters to help us, to pray for us, to keep us accountable. And we keep coming and filling our minds, and we keep opening up the scriptures daily to fill our minds and hearts with God's word, to get that right view of God and of ourselves. We keep applying these truths to our hearts and we keep turning from selfishness, from entitlement, from grumbling, from discontentment. So, Number one, the word prayer and fellowship, it's the same for any other sin, for any other virtue. But number two, in particular for this sin, I think it's helpful to have a method to deal with it when it comes up. See, when you feel like grumbling or you feel you're about to grumble, stop yourself in that moment. Close your mouth. And instead pray, Lord, help me not to grumble. And then start to question your grumble. Why am I feeling this way? What's behind it? How is my picture of God or myself wrong at this part? What view or truth of God do I need to remember and apply to my heart? And how do I need to be thankful? Choose to be thankful. Start to think and realize all the ways God is working for your good in this situation. And look for the ways that he's been generous to you. And notice the ways you need to be humble and accept his way, of thanks and accept his plans. Cultivate contentment and, and practice being thankful, and then you'll, you'll disarm your grumbling. Uh, to give you an example, I said before that I grumble about the entirety of winter. It's a bit funny, but actually, as I thought about it, I complain about the cold, and that's actually a problem that I need to work on. Because it's grumbling against God for the very way that he has made and ordered the world. See, when I'm tempted to grumble about the cold, what should I do? I should stop. I should begin to remember all the ways that God has wonderfully designed the world. I should remember how wonderful it is that he's made the earth to spin just off axis. And so the angle of the sun hits the earth, changes throughout the year. And we have these four wonderful seasons each year this beautiful pattern of warm and cold. And each season brings relief from the other one and gives us this variety of experiences in life instead of just the same old weather every single day. And I, should be rem- and I should remember and I should be thankful for what God has given me. He's given me clothes. He's given me a home. He's given me a warm bed to protect me from the cold and the rain. And he's caused me to live in a time where there's air conditioning everywhere and so 90-something percent of the time, I can be as comfortable as I want to be. Thank you, God. And I should remember that we have it pretty good here in Sydney and it doesn't get nearly as cold as so many other places in the world. I can remember that it's not all about me. God has all sorts of plans that he is working on in the world and in my life and he even uses the weather to achieve them. And I can do all of this to disarm my grumbling, my discontentment, and instead make me thankful and content. I can do this for every and any instance of grumbling. And so can you. And if we do this, if we do that, if we practice that, then won't we stand out from the world of grumblers? Won't we stand out from the Aussies who love to whinge even about whinging? That's the point that Paul makes in Philippians 2 we read before. Let's finish with this. He says, Do everything, everything, without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, who grumble, among whom you shine like stars in the world. See, grumbling and discontentment, it's our default, it's our world's default, but oh how we will shine like stars we instead of grumbling are thankful to the God who provides for us. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you that you do promise to provide for all our needs. Not that we would have material abundance, but that we would have everything we need for life and godliness. And that we'd have everything we need to keep persevering in Jesus. But oh how we know that you provide so much more than that. And that we enjoy so many good things every day. Blessings of your generosity that we can't count. Food and water, our homes, friendships, fellowship. Most of all, spiritual blessings in Christ. You pour out goodness on us and we confess that we don't often appreciate those things. And we grumble against you and we grumble against others. We are sorry for our sin. Help us to turn from this sin of discontentment and grumbling. Help us to have that right view of you and ourselves. And help us to always be filled with the truth of your word. And help us to practice contentment, thankfulness, and question our grumbling that we might turn and instead give you the glory you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.